Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, here we are. We're nearing the end of the spring semester. How many graduating seniors do we have in here? They're all in bed. Okay, great. So (laughs) they're finishing well at Bedside Baptist this morning. So (laughs) yeah, this time of year is, is the time for endings, for beginnings. And for us this morning, it's a time for endings. We have been in in the Sermon on the Mount for 17 weeks, and this morning we get to wrap up our Sermon on the Mount series where we've looked at the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And we said at the very beginning of our series in the Sermon on the Mount is that the Sermon on the Mount is about what it means to be kingdom people living a kingdom life in a fallen world. Kingdom people living a kingdom life in a fallen world. And like any good preacher, Jesus is very purposeful with how he ends his sermon. When I'm talking to uh, young, aspiring preachers, I tell them that preaching is a lot like flying. Any of you pilots will really understand this, that the beginning and the ending are some of the most dangerous times for your sermon. (laughs) And in the same way it is with flying. Like, you can have turbulence along the way. You've listened to sermons where it's like, okay, it was, it was kind of fine in the middle. But the, your takeoff and your landing is, is typically where people get hurt. Maybe you get hurt as the preacher. Like, it's really important that we focus on our introductions and on our landings. But Jesus, the master preacher, always knows how to stick the landing. He always knows how to do it. And what's so interesting about how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount and he started, we, start, we started the landing last week with Cody's message. But what's so interesting about the way that he ends the Sermon on the Mount is that the illustrations Jesus uses are not what you would expect. They're not what you would expect. Because here's the thing. It's really easy to read the Sermon on the Mount, to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, and to think that what Jesus is doing is that Jesus is describing the difference between good people and bad people. It's really easy to think that. But notice what we saw last week as we began this this landing of the sermon. What we saw last week is that Jesus doesn't say that there are two trees, one produced fruit, one did not produce fruit. He doesn't say that. In fact, what he says is that there are two trees and they both produced fruit. So the issue wasn't whether or not one tree produced fruit and one tree did. You don't have to be like a tree scientist to be able to tell which tree is producing fruit and which tree isn't. No, both trees are producing fruit. But the issue is what kind of fruit is it? Is it good fruit? Or when you bite into it, is it poisonous fruit? And if that doesn't rattle us enough, he then went on to say that his description of people who don't get into heaven wasn't the, the bad, the godless, the super evil people. No, who are the people that didn't get into heaven? It was the people who prophesied. It was the people who did miracles. It was the people who cast out demons. It was the people who did, by all appearances, the things that super spiritual people would do. Right? If you saw someone 
prophesying and those prophecies coming true, if you saw someone casting out demons, if you saw someone healing people, you would think, wow, they have such a connection to God. Look at how the Lord is really using them. But it's in fact these people that Jesus says in the last day, when they say to me, Lord, Lord, that he says that he will look at them and say, I never knew you. In fact, we've seen this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't contrast people who pray and people who don't pray. No, he says, no, when you pray, pray like this. All these people are praying. He doesn't contrast people who give to the poor and people who don't give to the poor. No, he says, when you give, as if everyone was giving, when you give, give like this. You see, the Sermon on the Mount isn't Jesus showing us the difference between good people and bad people. It's Jesus showing us the difference between religious people and actual Christians. Between religious people and Christians. Because religious people and Christians can look very, very similar. By all appearances, they can look the same. They're both praying. They're both giving. They're both following the Ten Commandments. They look nearly identical on the outside. But Jesus' point throughout the sermon is that while people may look similar on the outside, there is a tremendous difference in what's going on on the inside. There's a tremendous difference in the motives, the motivations for what they're doing. And so the question Jesus answers as he lands the Sermon on the Mount this morning is how can we tell? How can I tell whether I'm a religious person or whether I'm a Christian? How can I tell? And not, not how can I tell so that way I can like walk into a room like this or I can go to my connection group and I can assess and make a judgment call on someone else. No, how can I tell for myself? How can you tell whether you're a religious person or a Christian? And the final illustration Jesus uses is two houses and two foundations. So Matthew chapter 7 Verse 24, he says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Now, it isn't as though these two houses and these two builders are categorically different in every way. In fact, there are a lot of similarities between these houses and these builders. So, so just, just think about this with me for a little bit. What is similar about these two builders and these two houses. All right, the first similarity is that both builders have the same desire. Here's what I mean. They both desire to build a house. You're like, I should have stayed in bed. That's the most obvious, why? No, they both desire to build a house. They both desire to have a place where their families could live, where they could enjoy themselves, where they could get some sleep, where they, where they could be protected from the elements. They both wanted a similar result. What else is similar? They both build their house in the same location. 
They are in proximity to one another. How do we know that? Well, because when the winds blow and the waters rise and the rains fall, both houses are subjected to the same conditions. It's not as though like they're, ha- they're like across the country from one another. One, one had a tornado, another had a hurricane. No, they're in the same location. Same desires, same location. What else is similar? The houses look very similar. They have the same aesthetics. You say, how do you, that seems like a stretch. How do you know that? Well, Jesus doesn't give any, any indication that they are different in any other way than their foundations. And so it's safe to assume that these houses are built with a very similar style, maybe like your neighborhood, where all of your houses, you're like, I think the same guy built all of these houses. Is, all of, is that my house or is that my neighbor's house? Like these houses look very similar, but their foundations are very different. So on the outside, to look at these two houses, they look practically identical. Here's a house, there's a house. Similar location, similar end purposes desired. They look the same. But what Jesus is meaning to point out is that while they look incredibly similar, the circumstances surrounding them are incredibly similar, that they are actually, in fact, very different. You see, many of us think that it's really easy to tell a Christian from a non-Christian. Don't we? Just practically. It's like, well... If, so, if, if someone's a good person, if they do certain kinds of things or they don't do certain kinds of things, if they, if they wear certain kinds of clothing, if they use certain kind of, a certain kind of language, maybe they don't swear, like, like is, that, is that like a prerequisite to, not, to, like, to being a Christian? They use certain kind of language. They, they frequent certain kinds of places. Christians frequent certain kinds of places, right? Like they go to church. That if they do all these things, then certainly they're a Christian. But the whole point Jesus is making is that the difference between being religious and being a Christian is way deeper than what you can see on the outside. It's way deeper than, than the list of assessments we might want to make as we make judgments about whether someone else is a Christian or, not, or in fact, about whether we are a Christian or not. So if those are the similarities, then what are the differences? The, the Gospel of Luke, it's really interesting. The Gospel of Luke, um, and this is why you should read the Gospels uh, together. The Gospel of Luke gives a very similar illustration here where Jesus is talking in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse, verses 46 through 48. Here's what he says. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, we saw that last week, and don't do the things I say? I will show you that someone, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. So what's the difference? We saw similarities, what are the differences? The first difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder is that while the wise builder dug deep in order to lay a foundation, the foolish man didn't, didn't dig at all. In other words, the foolish person is impatient. The foolish person is in a hurry. 
The foolish person wants results right now and cannot be bothered with doing any work that cannot be immediately seen by somebody else. I I remember when we were living in Chicago, uh, we were walking I forget what street we were on. We were walking across one of the bridges, uh, going across the river, and as we walked across, we saw this barge in the middle of the river, and they were, they were beginning to build, they, for, we found out later, they were building a skyscraper, but all we saw was this massive pile driver sitting on this barge, driving these piles down deep into the Chicago River to get to the bedrock of the city, right? And so it was, it was, Fascinating to watch. I've never seen that before. And it was really impressive, right? But when that barge pulls away, all you have are these piles sticking out of the river. It's not sexy. It's not cool. You don't even really know what's going on, right? That's what the foolish person is trying to avoid. They're trying to avoid any kind of spiritual work that cannot be immediately seen by others. They want immediate results. They want shortcuts. They want quick results. The religious person is more interested in how to get the quick benefits of religion right now. So you might ask, how, help, help me put that on the ground. How does that practically play itself out? There, there's many ways where this can play itself out, but here's, here's one way that I think may actually happen a lot here in our church. How about, here's how this can look, that instead of wanting to know God by diving into the scriptures for yourself, you remain content to only ever interact with God's word when it's delivered to you by people you like to listen to. Some of you treat God's word the same way you treat Pez. Have you ever had Pez? Remember Pez? Did you know that Pez still exists? Who would have thought, right? So I have, I have Pez right here. Bugs Bunny. I could have got LeBron James, but Bugs Bunny. $5.84. If you order it within the next 15 hours, you'll get it by Tuesday, okay? Comes with two packs of candy, all right? So nobody in their right mind buys Pez for the candy. Nobody does. I have never talked to anyone who said, my favorite candy is Pez. Haven't heard it. You, you haven't either. Pez is the hard candy equivalent of Peeps. It's like stale. It's just like a stale block of bad sugar. Like, how? I, I think they made one batch of Pez candy ever. And they've been selling it ever since for like, like 50 years Right? It was never fresh, right? Nobody in their right mind likes Pez. So how? How was I able to still buy this? Like, how was it a surprise to some of you that Pez, how is Pez still in business? Their candy's terrible. Nobody likes Pez. How are they still in business? It's because at the end of the day, people don't like Pez. They like the way Pez is delivered. Like if I walked up to you, I, I, uh, it came with raspberry and lemon. I chose the raspberry. It didn't matter, to be honest. So if I came up to you with just, with just like the refill of the candy, said, hey, would you like some Pez? You go, man, no. No, thank you. But if I went, 
you'd go, all right. Because it's, it's cute, right? It's novel. It's like, it doesn't make sense because the candy's shooting out of Bugs Bunny's neck, like of all places, you know. It's stupid, but it's, it's like, oh, okay, all right. That's kind of fun. Nobody likes Pez. They like the way Pez is delivered. And some of you treat the Bible that way. This book the inspired word of God, that all scripture is God-breathed, which means that, that this book that you hold in your hand, that you have incredible, unprecedented historical access to, that the very hot words, the hot breath of God's word is within these pages. But the only time many of you want to interact with it is when it comes from the mouth of somebody else. Someone else who has done the work to understand it. Someone else who has done the work to read it. Someone else who delivers it to you in a way that's pleasing to your ears. As long as the preacher's funny enough, I'll be interested. As long as, as, long as the preacher tells interesting stories, then I'll be interested. Or I really like the way that this, that this person speaks or that person speaks. You're interested in the word your interest in the word of God has everything to do with the delivery method and very little to do with the content. Now you're more interested in the messenger than you are in the message. You see, only interacting with God's word through sermons, preachers, and podcasts is like only ever eating food when someone else has prepared it, cooked it, and chewed it up for you. The foolish builder is too impatient to take the time, is too impatient to do the work, to dig deep, to lay a foundation on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word. No, that's too much work. Surely there's a shortcut to getting the spiritual benefits of Jesus. Maybe I can just listen to a five-minute podcast on my way to work and get just a little nugget of inspiration for my day. How, how else are these two builders and two houses different? Another difference is that the foolish builder is indifferent to instruction. He's indifferent to instruction. We, we, already, we already saw that, that they're building in similar locations, right? And so you would think that the one builder would see the other builder doing the hard work, laying the foundation, and would go, oh, maybe there's some wisdom in that. Maybe that's something that I should consider doing. But they're indifferent to instruction. Where the wise builder receives instruction, the instructions laid out to them by the chief architect as they have the blueprints laid before them, the foolish builder pays no attention to any authority outside of themselves. The wise builder is eager to listen. The foolish builder hears instruction, but doesn't listen to it. You see, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Many of you wives know this all too well. There's a big difference between your husband hearing you and your husband listening to you. Remember several years ago, I was at Sidecar, this is no surprise, and that's like, it's like the office away from the office, right? So I'm at Sidecar, I'm probably writing a sermon, and the fire alarm goes off. And I looked up, 
And I saw, to my amazement, everyone doing absolutely nothing. Like I was, I think I was the only one that even looked up. It was like, am I in a movie? Is, am I hearing things? Like, I must be the weird one here. You know, and sidecar's not that big, at least on the hill. Well, any, all of them, they're not that big. Wherever you're sitting, you can see what's going on, you know? And so look up, kind of look around. There's no fire. What's with this? Go back to work. Now, how in the world did we know that hot yoga next door didn't get a little too hot, right? Like, whatever makes hot yoga hot, you know, something makes it hot. Like, didn't get out of hand. And like, we were about to be engulfed. Like, how did we know that, right? We looked around, heard the alarm, but went, nah, I know better. I know better. You see, there's a difference between hearing and listening. There's a difference between perceiving a sound and receiving a message. And so the question this morning is, what about you? What about you? Religious people probably know what God says. It's very likely that if you are a religious person, you know what God says. You can finish the, the verses as they're being quoted. But when it comes to actually doing what God says, religious people do all kinds of backflips to justify doing what they already wanted to do in the first place. What, one way this can play itself out, and again, there are many, this is, this is the danger of, of giving examples or making lists, is that you, you can't hit every particular situation. But here, here's one example of how this can play out. Some of you claim to be Christians, but despite knowing what God calls you to when it comes to sexual purity, you continue to sleep with and live with your fiance. Now you might go, Jake, whoa, that's, that's, that's super legalistic. Are you saying that I have to be perfect in order to be a Christian? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that Christians, as opposed to religious people, not only know God's word, but desire to act on it, desire to do it, albeit imperfectly, albeit clumsily, like stumbling forward with clumsy obedience. Christians aren't perfect people, but Christians, because they have the spirit of God living within them, actually desire to do what God says when they know what God has said about what they are doing. The wise and the foolish builders both build houses, and those houses looked very similar, but only one was able to withstand the storm because only one stood upon the sturdy foundation of the rock. Now, in this illustration that Jesus is giving, the rock is not only Jesus' words, but it is in fact Jesus himself. It's both Jesus' words and Jesus himself. This is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Just like these houses look the same, and they were in the same location, it's possible that some of you are here today not because you desire Christ, but because you desire the benefits that can come from Christ. Here's what I mean. 
Religious people and Christians can desire many of the same things. They can desire peace. They can desire happiness. They can desire comfort. They can desire a way out of troubles. They can desire a spiritual environment. Whether that, that is an environment here where you just come into this room, you're like, ah, oh, just feel something different. Or whether it's an environment for your children where you're like, I don't really want anything to do with God, but I just want my kids to be around like good moral families. So once my kids get to an age where they'll start you know, making friends, then I'll start the church thing because it's really about the environment. Religious people and Christians can both desire to live a better life. You don't have to be a Christian to want to live a better life. But desiring Jesus' benefits is not the same as desiring Jesus. And when the waters rise and the winds blow, for many, when the benefits of Jesus get swept away, their interest in and desire for Jesus gets swept away with it. So you might ask at this point, how in the world can I tell? How can I know whether I have built my life, whether my life is standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ or whether it's built on the fickle sands of everything else? How can I tell? I think, that, I think one way that you can tell is to ask yourself, who or what do you first run to in your greatest joys and your deepest sorrows? Who or what do you first run to in your greatest joys and your deepest sorrows? It is the first text, the first conversation, the first consideration that happens as you respond to things that are fantastic and, the, and to things that are deeply painful is the first response to run to your spouse, to run to your kids, to run to your family, to run to a substance, to run to the internet? Or is it to run to Christ? Now, what I'm not suggesting is that you don't share those things with other people. I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is, is your first inclination to run to everything else or to run to Christ. That's probably a good indication of what you are building your life upon, what you see as the solid rock that will sustain you in your greatest joys and your deepest sorrows. You see, the genuineness of your faith will be revealed in the trials of life, but we don't need to wait until the trials of life to be sure that we're standing on the solid rock of Christ. Brothers and sisters, dig deeply and drink richly from God's word. And in the joy of the spirit who lives within you, if you truly are a Christian, walk in joyful obedience when you, you hear and see what God has said and what God has called you to as a believer. And finally, real quick, verses 28 and 29. So Jesus finishes his sermon when Jesus had finished saying these things, all of these things, the whole sermon, when he'd finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching like one who had authority and not 
like their scribes. Now, it's really easy for us to fly by these last two verses and to see them as, as like an, an irrelevant add-on at the end. But if we do that, we're going to miss something really important here. And what, what we don't want to miss is that Jesus is the only preacher who has ever preached where the appropriate response of the listener is to marvel at the preacher. He's the only one. He's the only one. In fact, throughout the sermon, Jesus has continued to point to himself. We see it in chapter five, verse seven, when he says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you because of me. Verse 13 in the same chapter, because you are my disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Can you imagine one of us standing up here and saying, because you follow me, you're the salt of the earth. That, should, that, that hopefully would make you uncomfortable if I would say that. But Jesus says that. Chapter five, verse 17. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them over and over and over. And we hit this in almost every sermon where he said, you have heard it said. So you have heard it said by their spiritual authorities, but I say to you. And just last week, chapter seven, verse 23. Jesus says that he himself will announce judgment on the last day. You see, with all other sermons, including this one, the main point of the sermon is the message. But with this sermon, the main point of the sermon is the preacher. And yet, there are many pastors there are many ministries, there are many spiritual leaders who orient their churches and their ministries around their own personalities and giftings. And I have known and I have seen plenty of churches, plenty of ministries, and, and, and some of them here in the Cedar Valley that were built on and continue to revolve around the personality and the gifting of the pastor. And here's what I want to say very clearly. Christian, be very wary of the pastor, of the preacher, of the spiritual leader who puffs themselves up and makes themselves the central focus of their ministry. Be very wary of the pastor who connects building their platform with building the kingdom of God. Be wary of the church where the main thing on the minds of the people as they leave the Sunday service is the gifting of the messenger and not the power of the message. I, I, I pray that the day never comes. And if this day comes, we should, we should shut Candeo Church down. That if the day came when someone asked Whose church is Candeo Church? And the answer to that was any, was any other name than Jesus Christ. We should shut the doors. This church is not Jake's church. This church is not Cody's church. This church is not Jordan's church. This church is no one's church but Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only preacher who gets to call attention to himself. Jesus Christ is the only solid rock upon whom you can build your life. Jesus Christ is the only cornerstone who will remain immovable when the tempest comes. And the reason is, is because he is the chief shepherd. This is why we don't have like lead pastor language around here. 
is because Jesus Christ is our lead pastor. He is our chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is the master builder. He's the rock of ages. He's the last Adam. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And so brothers and sisters, people of the kingdom of God, worship your king and obey him as your Lord. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And in so doing, will confirm that you are not simply a religious person, but that you are a person of the kingdom. And as you stand on him, as you stand on Christ, as your firm foundation, as your solid rock, you will be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Oh Jesus, you are our solid rock. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, would you help us to not be built on the shifting sands of this world, on the shifting sands of human relationships, that we as a kingdom people would be built on the solid rock of Christ. Would we treasure you? Would we follow you? Would we not just hear your words, but obey you with spirit-filled joy? For your glory. And for our good, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.